Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Carraway. And Lisa Tate. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavidez, UFC flyweight. Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun. Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? Amazing. Radio. Welcome to It's Amazing Radio. I'm Dr. Law. Got my boy Kid Presentable here. Got DJ Mark here. Got Lavender Gooms here. Full outside It's Amazing for episode number 266. Yeah, 266. Let's go with that number. Um, thank you all for listening. Uh, really appreciate it. Um, this one, this episode will be have a little bit more MMA in it because shit actually happened and we're not going to spend half of it, you know. Talking about Wrestle Kingdom. Um, saw a couple comments on our awards, and uh, which, by the way, we put out our awards before anybody else did. Um, and then I saw everybody else's awards, and I was like, oh, okay. Group think is alive and well in MMA. So We're right. So we were right. So Turned saying, out we were all right about all the things we said. Yeah, but honestly, because other people copied us. Well, basically, yep. because like we, we sat here debating Fighter of the Year. Um, I believe it was me and Mike were DJ, and Steph and Mark were Bobby Knuckles. And I was just like, Man, I wonder what everybody else did. Well, everybody else picked between uh, Mighty Mouse, Bobby Knuckles, and Max Holloway, which we talked about a little bit too. So, um, not really a year where one someone stuck out necessarily. Um, so, in terms of the male fighters, uh, no one really took the big lead. I saw pretty much uniformity across the board with Rose as the female fighter of the year, um, unless you were a fucking idiot and took Cyborg. Um, so, yeah, I think everybody pretty much was the same. A knockout and submission wasn't even a debate. So, um, yeah. Any comments on our awards before we move on, guys? We did good. We did good. <laughs> it was long as fuck. Just, we did good. <laughs> multiple opinions. We got it. We nailed it. I just want yeah, to man. say you're welcome to everyone who copied off of us since we... I mean, that podcast is up way before... We, we recorded on New Year's Day for you folks, man. That's right. We want to be first. It was fresh. Yeah. Farm was fresh. fresh. Yeah. Made us, made us actually think a little bit. So what's we the, saw those, like nor- yeah. normally we get our content from Ariel. Ariel got it from us. This exactly. Um, all right. So um, it's a little bit of a shorter turnaround for us, a six day instead of a week, uh, instead of a week long. Uh, but a news that came out, I think the most relevant news that came out um, is that Max Holloway is going to go out in the be out in the octagon again. Uh, about a four month turnaround for him. They're rebooking him versus Frankie Edgar, um, which just sounds like those of those who wanted Brian Ortega to fight him. Um, looks like Brian Ortega, um, who himself said Frankie Edgar deserves it first. Brian Ortega probably takes another fight. Um, what's the way, uh, I mean, that, I think that's about right. What do you think, Mike? Give the kid another fight. Frankie was promised a shot anyway. Oh, for sure. Um, it didn't look like it was that big of an injury for Frankie. He was able to turn it around in a short amount of time. Max Holloway is an old school fighter through and through. He doesn't care about big fights. He just wants to fight whoever's the next guy up. He's saying it's the blessed era, and fuck it, we're blessed to actually have a UFC champion who fights, you know, frequently. So that's pretty. Yeah, good. I hope I know uh, Max Holloway missed a little bit of time um, when he was trying to get a new contract, which hopefully got compensated pretty well. Max Holloway says he's going to make himself a super fight, as in he will be the super fight, which that's a that's just a real positive attitude. Thumbs up, Max Holloway. 
Enjoy your fighting sounds, and your questionable ties. <laughs> that sounds like more work than I would want to do. I'd rather just fight someone who's already bigger. Right See, that's that's a Tyron Woodley strategy where he's like, GSP, Nate, Connor, who wants to catch these hands? Which he sees the runs and he's leaping off of each one of them. Yeah. But that's why we love Holloway, right? He, you know, the Diaz brothers didn't invent it, but we used to have those conversations versus like the fighter, the athlete. There's some dudes that I'm going to fight. I'm, I'm the big shit. Because... Against Connor, who was the star? Nate Diaz will tell you Nate Diaz was the star in that. So <laughs> you got to like these guys who believe their own hype. It's fun. Uh, the, I saw, I, by the way, uh, if anybody's seen the Connor McGregor movie or documentary, which is supposed to be pretty solid, I saw a clip from it, which was they've been filming a while. They actually have footage from before he was in the UFC, but uh, it was him after the first Nate fight where he was just talking about how, like, I hit him with everything and he was still there. Like, he couldn't believe, he couldn't wrap his head around Nate still being there. Um, so and so yeah. Anyway, that was a side note. Um. So yeah, we got ourselves a featherweight title fight uh, in Vegas on March third. So about sixteen week turnaround for Holloway. Um. Frankie trying to get that featherweight title, trying to be a two weight champion. Um. And I saw a bunch of nonsense with Jimmy Rivera, and Marlon Marais, where one guy I, that continued, where Marlon is letting his manager tweet for him. So there's that. Um. But fuck it. Uh, we actually have fights this weekend. And Marcus, I'm kind of digging this card. I'm looking at it to lead off the year. Free fight card. I'm looking at it like, okay. Yeah, especially <laughs> for a Fox Sports 1 card. Pretty solid. You know, this is we're gaining in almost Fox territory. And at least, you know, really what I like about it is there's a lot of action fights, right? Yeah. Like a lot of these seem like they're going to be barn burners. So, I mean, sometimes we get a card with a lot of good names on it. But stylistically, there's a lot of chance for boring fights and in this card I, I mean there still could be you never really know what you're going to get but uh there's definitely a lot of fights here especially the main event that seems like it's really going to deliver so uh yeah a great way to start the, the year off and hopefully they keep this momentum rolling yeah i mean i'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna chalk this up to them not really planning this as much as maybe everybody is healthy at the same time we got lucky because they really not showed a track record for not fucking us over on these free cards um let's get into the fights though main event uh, jeremy jeremy stevens versus Doho. Um, I still like doing that. Duho Choi. Um, I don't think we've seen Duho Choi fight since. Has he not fought since like a December? Year ago? Yeah, like a, last, a year? last year. Last last year. Yeah, I, guess get, I know we wanted to have a little bit of a time off, but he got hurt or something, right, guys? I mean, we're not. I believe uh, so. Oh, he was. He was going to fight in July. Um, he was going to fight Touchy Feely, which really looked like an opportunity for Touchy Feely to get us, you know, get fucking decapitated in a fight. Um, so Duho hasn't fought in about a year. Um, he says he wants to get a title shot before he has to go to military service, which there's someone, um, someone pointed this out online, um, Steph, where they said, if you become a champion in your field, they like in the past, they've given athletes from South Korea a pass because of that. So we're going to need Duho Choi to get really good, really quick. Right. If, if I'm right, uh, the, Korean slugger who uh, who played I think for the Cubs and Marlins for a while, uh, he shot Choi. Mm -hmm. I think he got out of his military service. Yeah, as but well. people, but Koreans I think like baseball more than you know MMA at this point. That might well, be a that's factor. What I'm saying that's yeah. that's some of the precedent. I think either be a champion or just be a guy who who drops bombs. Yeah, Steph, that is a spectacular clause. A champion in your field clause. Like <laughs> that is a thing to aspire to. Hey, I'm a man, I'm a they're writing. They're writing this. Do you think they're like writing the law, but they're like, wait, they're like, wait, 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 wait. What if we get a motherfucker who's just like really good at sports, and someone else is like, what do you mean? It's like, look, what if we have Korean Michael Jordan, 
Like, we really going to make this guy go to, you know, the Olympics, go to military? I'm, I'm thinking there's a bit of a loophole in this. In that, all right. This isn't this isn't a, this isn't like a hard and fast rule, by the way. We're just extrapolating. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's go down this rabbit hole with me for a sec. No Please problem. Hold my hand while we do this. Oh, okay. Champion clause. But what if you're a champion of a really shitty and whack promotion? So you're saying that cyborg would never have to do mandatory military service in Brazil? Yeah, or like, let's say you're. <laughs> you let's say you're, you know she's UFC choice, champion, right, Bob? Champion. Yeah, but uh, there's no contenders. It's a real Dr. whack division. Doctor Championship. What if he's the champion of that one? I mean, there might have to be some sort of like we have to recognize this as a real championship, maybe. You know, you're a champion, and you have at least two hundred thousand followers. I'm just saying, like, I mean, me and Mark, me, me and Mark can't start a promotion tomorrow. Have Duho come punch you, punch Stefan in the dick, become the champion, and that's that. I mean, that's the shady not organization that'll low blow one of the title, Bobby. The well, shady know, organization. You know, if me and Mark start an organization, low blows are definitely gonna be legal. I mean, come on now, that's that's a mandatory requirement. You guys are real net punchy guys, huh? Yeah. Call China, call China up. I'm as a man, as a child, I learned. And watch Mortal Kombat. You can take out Goro with a good nut shot. So the real fucking test for people. Steph, um, Duho, Jeremy Stevens. This is a not a pick 'em fight. Uh, we got minus one seventy Duho, plus one fifty Jeremy Stevens. I'm trying to remember last time we saw Jeremy Stevens. Do you know when was that exactly? It was late December, uh, 2016. So last year. So Wait, it's no, been no, a Jeremy damn Stevens. while. Oh, Jeremy Stevens. We last yeah. saw him. He actually beat Gilbert. I mean, that's, um, not an accompl- that's not an accomplishment anymore. So, uh, what do yeah, you think? That was here? one of those ones where two of you picked Gilbert out of uh, sheer loyalty. I believe Mark and yourself. You that's like, about he right. kept like, ah, Gilbert, I just want to see if he still has it. Um, he showed more heart than he had recently, but he still didn't really have it. I mean, Jeremy Stevens kind of suffers, I think, sometimes when we look at a guy and we're like, I kind of like, it's almost like a Dos Anjos, but I mean, he's not as good as Dos Anjos, but like, he, I haven't, like, he can go out there and beat Gilbert and he can beat Hen and Barrow, but I'm just still like, Man, I saw you lose a lot of fights and a lot of, you know, for a long time. I don't want to call him gatekeeper, but he is somewhat in that territory. He every couple of fights he reminds you like, oh, he's still got something. Like he, it's that puncher chance in a way, and it's it's, I mean, it's more than that with him. But he can always still give it to you, even if you're a good fighter. You don't usually style on him too much. He's he's a tough out. He's one of those what, kind of perennially well, I mean, guys. Well, let's make your pick then, buddy. You say you think tough, I mean tough out for Duho, or is Duho gonna have a is Duho going to catch an L in this fight? Um, that said, no. We still believe Duho is Superboy. Uh, he kind of came pretty big back down to earth, losing a decision to Swanson. You sh- saw it just wasn't all there yet. It, he wasn't quite on the rocket ship to the top of the division that we thought he would be. But as of now, he's still the super prospect. And I think it's a good heat check for him. Um, if he is who we think he should be, he absolutely should win this fight. And if he was to drop this, then maybe we do need to temper our expectations on him. But if he bounces back with this, I think he's not far off from where we thought he should be around this time, like last year. I mean, he's still really young, too, right? Like, is he even, I mean, what are we at, 26? Yeah, we got a lot of time with this kid. Um, So you're going to go with Duho. Mark, Um, what do you think, man? Are the, are the old vet or is Korean Superboy going to get it done here? Um, I am also going with Duho, um, but I was impressed with Steven's last performance. Um, I think he utilized leg kicks, you know, really well against Gilbert. And that's some, that was one of his tools that we haven't really seen him utilize, you know, very efficiently throughout his career. So, you know, we're seeing new wrinkles in his game. And I think that's always, you know, a good aspect, you know, with your career going forward. You know, I think moving down to featherweight, 
Um, he, he's had mixed success where he's kind of had throughout his career. Um, Duho, I mean, we love the kid. He's, you know, he's a very flashy fighter. He gets, you know, fast knockouts in the first round. Uh, but, you know, like Stefan was kind of saying, you know, a young prospect, he fought against Cub Swanson, who's a really tough out. Um, and I think Jeremy's another tough out. And it is going to be a good measuring stick to just see, you know, where he's at right now. But, like, I think the most important thing is regardless of if Duho goes out there and smokes Jeremy or he has a tough out with Jeremy and is barely able to get by, or if he has another fight like he did with Cub where he's just not able to get it done, he gets, you know, he gets picked apart a little bit. Um, I think it is a good barometer to see kind of where he is right now because he does have a lot of years to kind of grow and mature with the sport. So um, he has a bright future ahead of him, regardless of how this performance goes, because he's already looked, you know, he kind of has the foundation set. He just needs to kind of work on the different skill sets and being able to take the fight in other areas that the standup's not going his way. But uh, I think this will be a really exciting fight. I think we'll have a lot of exchanges like we saw in the Swanson fight. But I do think... At some point, Duho will be able to catch him with a big punch and uh, hurt Jeremy enough for the, the the ref to stop it to stop him from getting. Does he, you know, he doesn't get stopped a ton, right? Um, trying, I don't. Jeremy Stevens doesn't get stopped. I mean, it's not that it's not, that it's not possible. Um, one loss by knockout. Who the fuck did that? Good point. I mean, like when did that? I guess this is a five round or two, right? Oh yeah, I always forget about that. <laughs> <laughs> that like that gives me like legitimate hesitation. But I don't know. Jeremy Stevens also, you know. Oh, it was uh, Eve Edwards. Eve Edwards was the yeah. uh, last knockout loss. I can't remember that. Eve so Edwards we were not we were, we were there. We were in the building. <laughs> Henderson UFC. versus Diaz. Yeah, yeah. We were in the building in Seattle. Twenty twelve, oh. man. That was not a minute ago. Yeah, fuck me. It's been five years since then. Jesus. Um, I, uh, I'm. Uh, that was I, the. Um, I can't. We. I'd be remiss to not mention that was uh, Benson Henderson's infamous uh, toothpick Pez dispenser. Uh, controversy so that he whooped Nate's ass and then in victory, little little toothpick just shoots out the mouth like he was chill the whole time. Benson was cool as hell when he was champ. What happened to that guy? That guy was so good. It tears ACL a little bit. Man, I love that. God, that was a good time. Um, if, you, if you're paying for the fight pass, the UFC on Fox, Diaz versus Henderson, I enjoyed that fight, even though it was pretty one sided. Um, I got Duho also, do also not just because I like saying his name so much. Um, I just. I think the world of him, and you know, sometimes you know, if you want to get in a, you know, caveman style fight with Cup Swanson, sometimes it doesn't work out for you, man. You know, it's just you know, Cup Swanson, very Carlos Condit-ish. Went back when Carlos Condit still had it. No offense to the man. Um, so yeah, I mean, that could happen. Um, yeah, but I'm going Duho here. Uh, Mike, what do you think? Clean sweep for us here? Yeah, it's gonna be a clean sweep. You know, I think Jeremy Stevens, at least for me. He's the type of guy that when you hear the name, you think, oh, at, at first blush, you think, oh, he's one of the top guys. So, you know, of course, he's going to stand a good chance of winning. And when you mentioned he's actually an underdog in the fight, I went back and looked at his, uh, you know, previous six or seven fights. And I was amazed at how many losses he has in that time period. And it's all guys that when you see the losses, like, see that guy's better than him. I could see that guy's really good. So he is the quintessential gatekeeper, I think, at this point. Um, he's the type of guy that if you can beat him, you're probably really, really good and legitimate. And this will be the test for Choi this time. He's the uh, the high riser. He's the guy that's coming up. You know, he lost the fight to Swanson, but he didn't look too bad in that fight. And I think he's probably learned a lot from that fight. So clean sweet for me on Choi. 
All right, all of us going with uh, Korean Superboy here. Um, first picks of the year, by the way. Uh, Mark, our reigning champion. See if he can repeat. Um, co-main event, Uriah Hall versus Vitor Belfort. Uh, Vitor Belfort, we thought his last fight was his last fight because he acted like he was retiring up until like a day before the fight. Um, I don't even remember what Uriah Hall does anymore, to be honest. I can't, I mean, I, I feel like giving random guys to knock out every now and then. Here we go. Christoph Jocko. Um, How is that? He knocked out Tamden McCrory, I remember. <laughs> That's all I got for you on John. That's a horrible fight where I somehow talked myself into Tamden McCrory by reading a paragraph about him and not even looking at him. I, I mean, I picked Tamden. I, I, we were, I remember we were texting. Yeah, that was that one. But I was pretty confident about Tamden McCrory. I'm like, man, Barncat's got this. And then like less than, a, what, 30 seconds later, dude's unconscious. Yeah. Um, all right. Um. Yeah. Uh, sorry to cut you off. Uriah Hall um, coming into this fight 13-8. and eight. Won his last fight. Had lost the previous three, but fuck, man. Robert Whitaker, Derek Brunson, Gegar Mousasi. You lose to good people sometimes. Um, I'm at the point with this man where if you fight somebody good, I don't think he's going to win. Uh, thankfully, he's, fi- he's fighting Vitor Belfort at age 40. And while Vitor is one of the greatest ever, Vitor is not Vitor and hasn't been for a while. Um, and there's no reason to convince myself otherwise. Uriah Hall is the favorite in this one, a sizable one, minus 250 to Vitor's plus 210. Um, yeah, I got Uriah Hall. Mike? Unless something has changed in the last six months where Vitor has uh, pictures of Jets Nowitzki, I'm pretty sure he's not on any of the juice or any TRT, so he's going to have no chance of winning this fight. I mean, You're he right. won his last fight. He beat Nate Marquardt. Yeah, well. Who, oh, Nate Marquardt, by the way. By the way, Nate Marquardt retired today or announced it, I guess. Um, all respect to the, like, eight-time King of Pancras. Yeah, uh, Mar- all respect to him. And you just answered why I gave no respect to him beating Nate Marquardt. Because yeah. the man just retired. Uh, Marcus, what do you got here, brother? Uh, yeah, I'm going to round it out with Uriah Hall as well. Um, but I, I do think it's an interesting fight. Um, I definitely think, you know, we always know Belfort is really dangerous in the opening minutes of the round. And I think him just going to the decision with Nate kind of showed that, you know, he has something in the tank. But, I mean, I like youth and the miles not being on Uriah. And, you know, there's a lot of questions with Belfort. You know, I kind of I think we all kind of thought he should have hung it up. Um, when he beat Nate, you know, why not go out on that win? There's not a lot left for him to prove. But I think they were in Brazil, too, actually. They were. Yeah, they were in Rio. Yeah. I mean, made all the what sense the in the world. But um, he's going to run it back with, with Uriah. And I think, you know, I, I, I legitimately think he has a shot to win this fight. You know, it's not like Uriah is the Anderson Silva we once thought he could have been. You know, he's definitely shown that he hasn't been able to keep that momentum and to keep that winning streak alive. So I, I think Belford could get something in here. But I'm just a lot more comfortable picking Uriah. I think the... The the youth on him and the the lack of wear and tear that has gone through his body um, compared to Belfort, um, I think it just gives him a much better chance to to pull the victory off here. Stefan, you gonna break the chain here, or are we gonna agree on this one too? No, I think we all agree. It's kind of Vitor's farewell tour. Um, wasn't looking great before that. Um, I mean, I was looking at Vitor's Belfort's. Uh, he had that no contest with Kelvin, but Kelvin whooped that ass. Woo, so, Kelvin whooped that ass bad. Yeah, that was um, like <laughs> yeah, and that's the. You know, that's that troubled thing is I, I don't like to see guys keep going at this point. It's a lot of what is there left to prove for this guy. So um, I'd love to see a graceful exit, but do I expect it? I think there's too much money to be made outside of the UFC in the current landscape. Uh, but, you know, Vitor will do what he do. 
Yeah, I mean Vitor, yeah. I think Vitor had one fight left on his deal, and he's like, "You gotta, you guys are gonna pay me that money." And then I'm gonna go guys. to Dave and Buster's and sign autographs. What's up, Mike? Guys, you know you're gonna be watching this come next December 29th. Ryzen, whatever freaking number they're gonna be at that point. T the return of T R T Vitor. What's up? Against Vanderlei. Ooh. Vitor is going to be back to looking like He-Man. It'll be great, man. I mean, yeah, I'm not averse to a total freak show MMA fight every now and then. So kind you're of a saying, spectacle, but... So eh, we're saying we need, T, we, need T, we need TRT Vitor versus Gabby Garcia, right? That's what we're getting towards here? Even Roughly the same weight class? Hey, foxy, jazzy, alpha female called Dibs first, Bob. Still need well, to have she, that she, she, she signed uh, a developmental contract with the WWE, so... Gabby Garcia. Like a, no, um... Jazzy Gabbert, she was the one who just came in the ring and started yelling at Gabby Garcia after her first fight in Ryzen. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Um, we all picked this one, right? Yeah. Um, we got here um, Paige Van Zandt versus Jessica Rose Clark. Um, Paige Van Zandt didn't want to fight Jessica I, who's now on Fight Pass. Um, and I really think it's kind of fucked up that Paige Van Zandt's the one who got to stay on Fox, but we all know why. Um, Jessica Rose Clark, um, Nick, other name, Jesse Jess. That's just, okay. Pretty bad. Yeah. Um, 1-0 in the UFC with a split victory over Beck Rawlings. Nothing particularly memorable at that, and she missed weight by three pounds. Um, we're not at the point with Paige Van Zandt in this point. Like, I mean, if you, I think they only give her people she can't she she won't she's she won't run over when she actually wins a few and if she's coming off of a loss they're gonna give her one she's gonna win i don't think there's a chance she's gonna lose this fight um she's an underdog never mind i'm a fucking idiot plus 105 page van zand i still got her uh mark what do you got um yeah i have, I have page as well i think jessica rose clark is a good test for her especially coming off that loss to waterson and, and the layoff i mean it's been about a year a little over a year since page has gone in there so I'm interested to see if she's developed a bit more in a year. I mean, she is, you know, a young fighter, and we want to see those kind of developmental growths throughout, you know, the years. And since we haven't seen her fight in the last year, it'll be interesting to see if she's developed, you know, a, a better, well-rounded skill set, if she's going to be able to utilize that in the cage, or if there's going to be some ring rust. Yeah, that she's, she's training at a, she's training in like a much smaller, like, gym in Portland now or something instead of Team Alpha Male. She's training in a Chael Sonnen's gym now. My theory is that Cynthia Calvillo just made a real mean face at her, and Paige had to leave because it's very intimidating. Yeah, She's well, I mean, you know, who knows with the dynamics of the camp? You know, she might not have felt she was getting the, you know, the attention that she needed to kind of, you know, grow. And uh, yeah, she she moved camp. So yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of question marks around Paige. Um, I I think she is you know, skilled enough to, to get the win here. I think it will be, you know, I don't think it's going to be a pushover for her. I think Jessica Rose Clark is, is a tough out. Um, but I think Paige should get past this, you know, especially if, you know, she's aspiring to be a lot more in the fight game than where she's at right now. You know, I think she has higher aspirations. You know, she definitely has a lot of attention around her because of the appearances outside of the octagon that she's made. So I think, you know, to really get famous, though, you kind of need to have that momentum of winning in your, you know, your field. And I think Paige knows that. And hopefully this last year has been good for her. It'll be interesting to see how she, uh, you know, how she shows up on this fight. But I think she should get the win here, just matching them up stylistically. 
Stefan, are you going to be the third person to pick an underdog? Because we're not. I mean, I I picked her because I don't know the other girl very well. So what um, do you got? I'm picking it because you know she's an underdog, but that's a slight. That's it's almost a coin flip based at 105. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm not ready to jump off of Paige as a prospect in general right now. Um, and as Mark said, this is this is the one you have to win. You need to win this fight. Like, she's like um, 23, right? She's still like a very much a kid, right? She's like still a baby. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, you don't want to you don't want to say it, it's too late by any means, but at the same time, losing affects people differently. Fighting is a different thing. You don't always just come back. Um, not to immediately associate, like for Ronda, example, the loss can break you mentally, and you it can change you as a fighter. So she's a young prospect. She's had hype, and if she keeps dropping everything, you know, she could start to doubt her own thing again. I don't know. That's just a. I mean, it's worth mentioning but. also that like her first uh, her first UFC loss against Rose. She came back after that one and hit Beck Rollins with that crazy switch kick. So she made some improvements last time. She came off a loss as well. So see what she does this time. Yeah, you know, like the, the Michelle Watterson fight, it happened so quickly too, right? How much could you really take away from it after like about a minute and a half? Uh, she wasn't as strong in the clinch, but I think we kind of knew that. Um, she's still a little bit of a brawler. She has a lot of room to grow, but, um, you know, we'll find out whether this was a camp move was good or not pretty much based on this. So um, I'm still ready to believe in Paige as still being a, someone to watch in this division. So um cheering for her. Right on. Um, Mike? You know, I am as well. I'm picking Paige as well. I think Jesus. No one's a surprise. Um, you know, the losses she's had, they're not the worst losses. One of them was to the eventual champion, and the other was to an extremely good fighter in Michelle Watterson. Uh, so far, she's beaten everyone else who's, you know, mid-tier to, to lower tier. And I don't know enough about Jessica Rose Clark. I know she won a very close match against Beck Rollins. And frankly, who's Beck Rollins? So that doesn't really inspire a lot of confidence for me. I'm not ready to jump off the page bandwagon. Um, she's still very young. She still has a lot of time to improve. And... I want to wait to see how this new camp is going to work for her. Guys, this is like Bitcoin, man. You know, even though there's going to be some highs and lows, you got to stay with it, man. Don't cash out. Mike going topical with his bullshit. That's right. Um, this fight I'm excited for, uh, despite the pretty one-sided odds. Um, we got Emil Mech, um, who's still probably best known for... Uh, Knocking out uh, Husamar Paul Harris in like 20 seconds. Um, got over to the UFC. Got a W. I think he lost the fight after that. Um, just help me out. Um, I no, he, he just came in and beat Jordan Main in, uh, yeah. by decision. Oh, yeah. Then he got hurt is what it was. He was going to fight uh, a couple other people. He was going to fight Nordin Taleb. And he was going to fight Usman, actually. But the fight got rescheduled. Um, Usman is a goddamn killer, people. Um, Usman is, there's no hype train to get on. A fucker's here. All right. Um, he's won 10 fights in a row. He's 11 and one. I think he's like seven and oh in the UFC. Um, and he murdered Sergio Moraes, uh, back in September. Um, got him against the cage, just blasted him. He's minus 600 in this fight for a reason. Um, and he really wants to whoop Colby Covington's ass. So um, they should probably let him do that after he's done uh, in this one. Mech is really tough, but Usman can pretty much put this shit on the ground whenever he feels like it. 
Um, not that he necessarily needs to, but he's going to get on, he can get on top of Mech and start caving his head in if he needs to. I think very highly this man, so chances are I just jinxed him. But I'm going to go with Usman, and he's minus 600, so I'm assuming I'm not alone. Uh, Stefan? Um, yeah, I kind of have the anonymous uh, pleasure of – I'm not that familiar with Usman's fights. I just don't think I've happened to see a lot of them. But that said, his name, I keep, I've keep i been hearing it all year. Uh, as much as I haven't watched him, as much as I don't know about him, I know about him because I hear everyone talk about him. And this guy, he's what I might – I think he's my understanding he was like number 11 most recently – um, where he's just outside the 10 and a lot of people are saying, yeah, like w- watch for him break through this year. Um, he's supposed to be one of the legit guys coming up. So I got to believe this is a highlight fight for him. So um going to see where this hype train goes. Cause I should probably actually see this one. Yeah. Uh, a night, the Nigerian nightmare, 29 years old came in, was a monster, a division two uh, wrestler, all American. I think he might've won a national championship too. Um, but yeah, he's a killer. So, oh man, him um, and Nagano—they're gonna get some belts in 2018. Oh, we're gonna go it's some gonna be yeah. that African rain. Oh, it's gonna be great. Uh, okay, uh, Marcus, what do you got, brother? <laughs> hey, they're looking for another market outside of Brazil. Uh, yeah, I'm going with Usman as well. Um, I think he's just had a lot more high level experience. Even though, I mean, Meek, when you say like you know the Paul Harris win is you know a big feather in the cap. Um, and getting past Jordan Mean too is, is a good way to kind of you know dip your toe in the, the UFC waters. But I'm just more comfortable with Usman, um, just and not only just with his stint in the UFC being really well. I mean, he's won all his matches. His last fight, he was able to uh, win by KO. But just just having that much experience, you know, going through the motions, and you know, I, I think Meek is getting used to high profile fights. I think the Paul Harris fight was obviously very big, and then you know him fighting Jordan Mean, who had somewhat of a name, was a good way to kind of welcome him into the UFC. But I, I do think Usman kind of has a, a more well-rounded skill set, like you mentioned, Bobby. His, his wrestling background will really help round him out with his punching power. So, I mean, I think on the feet, it might be a little iffy, but he'll have to lean on that wrestling. So it's really going to depend on, you know, how is he transitioned into the transition from striking into initiating grappling matches and pressuring guys against the cage and working off of takedowns there. Because I think if he can get Meek down a couple times, rough him up there. It's going to make the, the knockout easier in the later rounds. Um, I, I think Usman is going to be able to control the fight. And if he if he really puts it on, um, I think he could finish it, but I think he'll probably get a decision. Mike? Yeah, I don't really know much about Emil Meek besides the fact that he looks like a Viking who was transported that's, that's a, from back in time. That's his gimmick. They made but, him shave uh, his beard a little bit when he fought his first UFC fight. Really? Yeah, because whatever commission it was, was soft as shit. It might have been Canada, too. Oh, those Canadians. You think they'd appreciate a beer? I've definitely seen Usman fight, and I can see why he calls himself a problem, because that... He's he's gone leaps and bounds since uh, the Ultimate Fighter he was in. I think it was on with AT... yeah, Black Zillions and yeah, ATT. And, uh, Man, he was just a wrestler back then. Yeah, Mate. But he was a very much a grinder, and he's really yeah. developed. You're right. <laughs> yeah, he won. He won a lot of his fights just by getting people to the ground and kind of beating them up that way. And he's really rounded out his game since then. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe sometime in the next year or so he's uh, a fight away or fighting for uh, for the title possibly. Um, another clean sweep. Um, 
Darren Elkins welcoming Michael Johnson to the 145 pound weight class. Um, I feel we talked about Michael Johnson possibly going down one day uh, many times just because didn't really seem like that large of a lightweight and uh, he's lost a couple fights if I'm not mistaken recently, right guys? Justin Gaethje and Habib. Which, um, no, 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 don't let yeah, the hype fool you. Yeah, one in five in his last five. Oh, last, yeah. one in four in his last five. Um, Darren Elkins has the worst tattoo in MMA, in my opinion. And that's saying something. Um, his chest tattoo that says the damage. Frank I think uh, I'll always think Alan Belcher's melting fat Johnny Cash is a strong rival. So, like, I'm not saying the... it really dethrones Darren Elkins, but I say it has a seat at the table. I mean, Mike, what did you say about Michael Johnson's last six fights? No, um, he was one and four. He's one and four in his last uh, five fights. One and four in his last five. Darren Elkins in his last five is five and fucking oh. Um, including that Mursad Bektik fight where he was getting his ass whooped um, and came back in the third round and just fucking gutted that shit out. Um, maybe the only entertaining Darren Elkins win in history. Possibly only entertaining fight ever. His only too. performance award he's ever gotten in his career. Well, man, got, I mean, Darren Elkins is a grinder if there ever was a fucking grinder, man. Um, Despite him being on a 5-0 and uh, streak and Michael Johnson being a 1-4, and I still got it in the back of my head, and this is very much a pick em fight or close to it. Um, Johnson a slight favorite um, at minus 160. I still got it in my head that Michael Johnson is going to be something. And if that something is like, even if it's like someone who's in the back, you know, back end of the top 10, maybe around 10 or 11, 12 maybe even, so be it. And that person doesn't lose to Darren Elkins. Because Darren Elkins, the damage, has taken a lot of damage in that career of his. And Michael Johnson can hit you. So I'm going to go Michael Johnson, despite him not winning in a while. Mike? Uh, you're going to have to come back to me on this one. I'm still torn. Mark? Uh, Yeah, no, I, th I think um, it is a really interesting fight, uh, mostly because of kind of where they're both at in their careers, right? Like, uh, you know, Mike said, you know, uh, one in four in his last five isn't a great look. Um, they're all killers, though, right? I mean, those names are, are top ten fighters through and through. Maybe Dar Darnoosh, Darush not being of that caliber, but everyone else definitely up there. Um, I think Elkins presents an interesting style that I think Michael Johnson, you know, could do very well at. You know, the guy tends to grapple a lot, but I don't know if he's a better grappler than Michael Johnson. And I think standing up, Johnson's going to have the power with his... Uh, with his straight right. Um, I'm going to make it interesting, though. I'll go with Elkins. Um, cause I, I do think it's a close fight. And, um, you know, there's some question marks with how he's going to well, make I mean, the weight. Exactly, Marcus. I was going to say, that weight cut, you don't know what's going to happen. Maybe he has nothing left after one round. Yeah, we, we really don't know. Um, but I, I think it's a really close fight. And I think he does have... I, I, I do like giving him the edge with the stand-up with his right straight. I think he has a little bit more power in his punch. Um, but, like, you know, one thing that Derek has going for him is... Um, mental strength and that's something that i think michael johnson kind of lacks a little bit I, we've definitely seen him in fights where he's getting his shit pushed in and i think he mentally kind of gets out of the game before it's over um you know it's something to take away from the guy it, it's it's hard to have that kind of mentality that Derek elkins has like you said bob with his comeback i mean this is a guy that even going into the last round when he's getting his shit pushed in his face is bloody he's beat up um, he's he's one of those guys that believes in himself. Like every round, like I know I could do this. Like even though when the you know the the stack uh, the cards are stacked against him, he has that self confidence. He has that mentality. It's a, it's a good little 
extra thing to have going into the fight. I think it's going to be a tough fight for both these guys. Um, Bama's going to make it interesting and go with Elkins, even though Matt, I, I, I kind of favor Johnson a little bit, even though he's not coming with a great record. I mean, I'd like to see um, Steph that like maybe like we can get Michael Johnson to commit to a game plan and not waver from it just by. I mean, just like he manages like I mean, his last couple fights, uh, maybe not last couple. But remember when he fought Nate also, and when he fought Gaethje, had some success in both those fights, especially the Nate one, where I think it was like in the first round, and I must have texted you this or something, where like Johnson's winning the first round, but Nate's already started talking shit. And I think I texted you that like Nate's just gonna like Nate's gonna bait him into a, a Nate fight, and that's exactly what happened. And the Gaethje fight, he you know he had good success in the beginning of that one stepped off the gas there too, kind of fell apart in his game plan. We'd really like to see this guy get a game plan together that works like for three rounds, right? Um, Yeah, whatever it is, is it whether it's a fight IQ thing, whether it's a conditioning thing, because everyone's right, we've seen him fade in fights. It's the kind of the tail of the tape on uh, Michael Johnson is the longer the fight goes, the more it's going to start swinging the other guy's way. And that is where Darren Elkins thrives, right? He thrives when you're not in it in that second round. Darren Elkins will find that moment. Maybe he hasn't been getting the takedown, but he finally gets it in the end of the second round. You know, like his perform his one performance of the night. If he gets a KO in the third round, that's that's a very rare territory thing to do in and of itself. So, um, I thought Mark was going to pick uh, Michael Johnson, and I was going to take Darren Elkins. It just seems this is the type of fight that Michael Johnson yeah, yeah, should I, win, I, but this is the type of fight that Darren Elkins surprises you with. You know, and he gives I'm you a little more. All faith, I'm losing him. all any faith I had in this Michael Johnson pick is was not a lot to begin with. It's just going out the door with every word yeah. we speak. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's why I want you to come back with me because off the top of my head, because I'm the one that's uh, writing down all the picks for this uh, fight, and I had pre-put all my picks, and I had put Johnson already in, and as we got closer to this fight, I'm like, do I really want to pick Johnson because? He has all the tools there, and he'll always start every fight very well, but then something mentally just breaks in him. Like, it's happened in the Nate Diaz fight and in the Justin Gaethje fight. I he mean, should not have been those like, guys are both really good, though, man. Like, he's very possible. He, he could just go out there and whoop Elkin's ass in the first round, too, is what I'm telling myself. Um, that's, <laughs> I'm, but, is that, so, I'm, 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 am I alone here? Or, yeah, uh, Stefan, you, Stephon, you make your pick eventually also? Yeah, I'm taking Elkins because I kind of see it. But you're not wrong, Bobby. If Michael Johnson comes in and nukes Darren Elkins, then that means this weight cut was a success. And that's awesome. If he comes in looking like a success, we have a new guy to watch in this division. And this is an exciting division already right now, you know. Um, new life has been injected uh, in large part to Max Holloway. So it's exciting for that thing. Is It could be we're sleeping on Michael Johnson, and maybe this is awesome, or maybe it's not. It really is. We'll learn all we need to know about Michael Johnson kind of from this fight. Mike? Elkins. Move your mic a little bit closer to you. I'm not hearing you all that well. Elkins. Is that better? Much better. Much better. Yes, Elkins. Elkins. All right. So what we're saying is we all picked the same in all these fucking fights, except this one. So by the end of Saturday, I will be alone in first or last place. Pick with Mark. He's the winner. Follow the lead. <laughs> um, all right. Um, so, yeah, that's UFC on Fox, Sports 1, whatever. They're in St. Louis. So everybody be safe out there, man. <laughs> uh, St. Louis is rough.
Um, oh, something else that happened this week before we get into uh, Memoirs of a Fight Fan, which normally in our pre-show prep, we decide what we're going to talk about. And as I'm sitting here, we did not do that. So somebody better come up with something in the next two minutes. Um, Jimmy Smith. Um, Jimmy Smith has been relieved of his duties from Bellator. And uh, I don't know if I'm alone in this because I don't know how much people were watching Bellator in recent years. But I really come to appreciate Jimmy Smith because I felt he wasn't lying to me. Um, he would tell us when a fight sucked a lot. Um, and you know, wasn't just towing a company line. And I really like Jimmy Smith, and I hope the UFC signs him. It's really all I got there. Well, if you heard the uh the Joe Rogan podcast, he really hopes that as well. He's good. I think he's good at his job. I know, you know? one thing. I one thing I I didn't really know much about Jimmy Smith before he went on uh the the JRE. And I didn't know that he was he used to be a professional fighter and that you know, he's been oh, you don't, you, for a long time. Yo, you don't remember – I, I mean, you've definitely watched an episode of this show with me, but you don't remember this. There was a show on Netflix. Netflix they uh, they put – I mean it wasn't made by Netflix, but it was called Fight Quest. Yeah, I think that's that not it. right, Marcus? Fight mm-hmm. Quest. Okay, it was – every episode they tried a different ver- different martial art from a different place. And Jimmy Smith was one of the two guys on the show, man. Oh. Yeah, uh, Jimmy Smith was, was always that. He was also like almost always hurt. And yeah, that was the, that was just like every episode. The other guy looked like a natural, and Jimmy's got like ice on one knee and like just beat the shit. Um, you know what? Let's go with this. Um, who, in your opinion, is your favorite mixed martial arts commentator of all time? Um, could be the play-by-play guy, could be the color commentator, could be a guy who did it twice, once, could be a guy who did it all the fucking time. Um, I'm gonna go out there and I'm going to, um, I'm gonna do the obvious one. I'm gonna go Joe Rogan, um, because I think he served a really important purpose and still, maybe not so much now does as, um, he did in the past, which I thought he did a good job um being the middleman between like the action in the cage and the fans and despite him being a very like skilled martial artist himself being joe rogan and being you know the comedian the fear factor guy and talking you know joe rogan's got some funny lines man and joe rogan putting things in ways that i think the general fight fan can understand i think he did a good job of that and still does um, he's obviously not perfect. I think sometimes he gets stuck on a certain narrative that he has going into a fight. And I don't think he necessarily, like, I'm sure other people, I, I think, like, he's not necessarily as knowledgeable as, like, Dominic Cruz or Brian Stan are, who are also some of my favorites. But I still think Joe Rogan is a very important place. And I've, when he's not there, like, it still feels like, it feels like less of a big fight to me when he's not one of the commentators. Partly because, you know, he's been the one for such a long time. It was like that with no Goldberg for a while too. I've kind of gotten used to John Anik as well. Um, so yeah, um, I'm hope I'm, I kind of know. I think I know where Mark's going here, but I'm gonna go with Mark here. Uh, on who you? Who's your favorite commentator for mixed martial arts ever? Uh, yeah, it, it is kind of tough because I have a favorite commenting team, which was Quadros and Boss. Um, I'm making you I, pick one. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, and the thing is, like, they both have when they did split off, they both have you know gone on to other things. You know, Quadros did Strike Force for a while. Um, boss, you know, got a lot of 
you know, TV time on HGNet doing kind of commentating there on their, uh, you know, what was it, MMA Hour, whatever their little MMA Inside show was. MMA. Like, Inside MMA. Inside um, it's. I mean, I, I guess it's Quadros, um, but I also like Michael Chavello a lot. And I think the commonality between both those guys is that, um, you know, they were the play-by-play guy, but you also know, like, and this was kind of the time before, you know, mixed martial arts was really big, and you can tell that both these guys trained. And not only did they train, they had a, it, you can tell they had an actual relationship with the fighters, and they would talk to them as if they were, you know, associates or comrades or, you know, just, you know, buddies and stuff. And so, like, when, when they would see new wrinkles in these guys' game, I, I mean, one thing that always stood out was when Nog fought Shemi Schilt and he, like, stuffed the takedown, and Quadros almost lost his shit. He's like, I've seen Shemi Schilt fight a million times, and this dude's never sprawled in his life. <laughs> and, you know, and, and that kind of stuff is just really exciting. I mean, they, to hear their excitement and enthusiasm, um, I think makes, you know, the fights more exciting. And, I mean, I, I always hold Boss and Quadros a special place in my heart because they kind of were the ones that re ignited my interest in MMA and with, with their with their broadcasting backstage team. Backstage skits, the, man, also, man. Those backstage skits they had. I love those. Yeah, I mean, they, they, that's the thing. Like, they had a lot of fun. You can tell they had a lot of free reign with the Pride product because I don't think that the Pride higher-ups really cared a lot about the English commentary that was coming out. So they, they kind of said, like, yeah, you know, you guys just do whatever. And, you know, we're going to have, you know, distribution in the States, but it's not really their priority and they, they let the guys kind of do whatever. And um, there, you, there's certain things in your life when you kind of grow accustomed to it and, and like um, as that series or whatever it is continues on in certain aspects of it that you really hold dear part ways. Um, the product itself kind of suffers. And I, I know when, when they lost Quadros, um, they still had a lot of great fights. I still enjoyed watching Pride a lot. But in the back of my head, I was always like, man, these fights would have been just a little bit better if it was still Boss and Quadros. And it kind of reminded me of when I was really into The Walking Dead and Tony Moore was their first artist. And when they dropped him, like the comics are still really good. The story's good. But, man, I miss that guy's artwork. And it's just like when you kind of fall in love with, you know, a series or something and the main character or writer leaves or True something. True Detective the- is like this, man. True Detective was like that. The the director, Carrie, I forgot his last name, after the first year left. And you could tell. Like, yeah. And, I mean, this it, I had my same. personal examples and you guys have yours. And it, it's just... The product was one thing that you fell in love with, and as it kind of devolves or evolves, and they they lose certain things, um, you know, you, you can appreciate it more or appreciate it less. And I I love Pride, and the time that Quadros wasn't there, there were still a lot of amazing fights. But I always thought in the back of my head, like, man, I I really wish it was still Boston Quadros because these fights would have just been elevated that much higher. Nothing to take away from Murrow. That's all uh, Jeremy Millen's fault, right? Yeah, I mean that, that. That's. I mean, I'm not getting into the politics because it, it is what it is. I don't really, you know, it, it's whatever. But um, yeah, it, it just when I watch the fights with uh, Ronaldo and Trigg, it's like they weren't awful, but they just didn't hold a candle to what Boss and Quadros had. And I think a lot of it did come to Quadros. Um, and I think Boss, it, it just they played well together. You know, they 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 complement each other so well. But um, a lot of people have you know done commentary with boss and you kind of have to play with him a certain way and you know he, you can't just put all the shtick on him you have to set him up and you have to knock him down with him as well and i think they just had a great pairing they made the sport so much fun it got me super excited and you know that excitement just just built over the years so yeah i, I like quadros a lot and and like i said um uh Chavello was another guy that just so much excitement you know and i think i think i know bobby got kind of worn down he definitely 
had these kind of catchphrases that he threw in a lot. And I could I understand how that gets grating on people, but his enthusiasm was not faked. You know, I never thought that his enthusiasm was like, oh, he's putting on a show to kind of get you hyped. Like, this dude's excited. He wants to see this shit as much as I do, maybe even a little bit more, especially when it came to the kickboxing stuff. Uh, I thought he was really knowledgeable in the striking game. Um, but yeah, like the dude was just, he was there. He wanted to see this shit. He was happy to be there. He wanted to be there. He wanted to break down the fights with you. And uh, I appreciate that. So those guys always stuck out to me. If you want some entertainment, you guys look up when Boss Rutten interviewed Quentin Jackson. And Quentin Jackson, Boss stole Quentin's chicken. That bo- Quentin didn't appreciate that. It's one of my favorite segments. Quentin's wearing camo and Boss sells it like he can't see him. It makes me happy. <laughs> uh, Stefan, what do you got? Um, God bless Mark for actually going first because I knew he from the start he'd be able to speak much better to it. Um, I think everything he said is incredibly spot on. But uh, I was just going to lean my vote to uh, just Boz Rutten. He, he's a character that's existed for a long time. Again, Mark is my big introduction into MMA. Mark is uh, kind of how I ended up liking and loving the sport as much as I do today. So everything he's nostalgic for, he showed me too. So, um, you know, he still exists as a character to this day. And, uh, you know, you mentioned Chevelle's stick wearing kind of thin. I'm surprised Boz Rutten's stick hasn't. Um, he's remained relevant and likable to me, you know. And another thing, a gr- another great Chevello moment. Chevelle bounced, I... actually, worth mentioning. Chevelle stopped doing it. Did he? He's huh. done. Yeah. Uh, he's done I know in the States. But, um, done in the States, at least. He bounced. So. I was just going to say, like, a, a night that I that was to remember for Boz Rutten, for the life of me, I can't remember what event it was. It absolutely was not sustainable as a commentary team, but Boz Rutten and Don Fry. What oh, I yeah. don't remember what they were calling, but I remember leaving it on Trust and just listening to it because that. I'm like, what are you guys talking about? My, what did they Mike, just say? Like that was Mike, a comedy duo. Well, that's one of those comedies that you strike gold once, um, you don't mess with it a second up. time. If but, I may, yeah. I actually had some of the quotes queued up because that's what I, I was going to mention. Well, I, I, was, I was watching this. I was watching this. In, this is when I lived in Syracuse. I remember I was watching this in my room, and Mike's bedroom was next door to mine. <laughs> I remember every few minutes Mike's like laughing his ass off or like the fuck are they talking about <laughs> if, I, if I may um, you guys have all said some very beautiful people who for sure for me in all seriousness those are some of my favorites as well but as Stefan alluded to a man who came into our existence and left as quickly as a shooting star was Don Fry Shark Fights 13 let me hit you guys with some quotes. During a discussion with Boss Root and over their records, Don Fry said, I started counting fights when I'd come home drunk and knock my old lady around. To which Truck, man, quickly covered him by saying, I bet she's got a few wins over you too. <laughs> On cauliflower ear. This That's the only way to make that joke uh, palatable. It's not that much better. <laughs> I, got, let me, I got two more for you. On cauliflower uh. ear. This guy is tough. His ears are like potatoes. Looks like he got stuck in the birth canal and had to beat him out with a stick. <laughs> and then on the preliminary card fights, that was like prison sex. Hard, sweaty, violent, and there was a lot of noise. <laughs> um, it was listenable radio. Mike, was that your pick too? <laughs> it, that was going to be my pick. Um <laughs> Way to go. Um, I just want to mention Moro Ronaldo real quickly because I think Moro deserves some credit. And this isn't specific to MMA, which is why it's kind of cheating. But I've seen – I've listened and watched Moro call 
mixed martial arts, kickboxing, uh, professional wrestling, and boxing. And he does them differently. I mean, like, some of them are closer to others, but, like, I know Moro's got this reputation as yelling shit a lot, but, I mean, when he does pro wrestling, it's on a different level than when he's doing, like, a serious boxing fight or a mixed martial arts. His versatility is honestly, I'm a big Moro fan, partly because he's just a really nice guy, it seems like, too, but um, I think he's so versatile, and he's got his quirks, too, that I'm not, I mean, not great some of it, but, like, I think it's impressive he's able to do all the things he does. Yeah, I, I just wanted to chime in and agree with you. I just, it, it, I think you kind of hit it on the head. Like, I think he first and foremost was mostly a pro wrestling kind of guy, and I think that's kind of the realm that he does best in. And like I said, with Chavello, like he he's more so of a kickboxing guy. And you know, he, these guys have specialties, and you know, it is cool that they can kind of go with that. And even Quadros, like I think Quadros with MMA was great. He's done some kickboxing, and it's not quite as astute. You know, these guys definitely have a feel that they're more knowledgeable in. And you can kind of tell with Mauro, like he, he gets MMA and th- this dude's rolled before. And he, he, you know, he, he knows what's going on in the, in the cage or in the ring, but it was definitely like, he could just break down and just kind of, you know, paint the picture better with pro wrestling. I think, I think that was a much better fit for him, but yeah, I think that's a good point, Bobby. He was very versatile. I mean, and Steph, we know nobody reads ad copy like Mike Goldberg though. I mean, props are due. It was that was a rough go for our man John Anik. You know, uh, we were in that camp. Like, hey, John Anik kind of deserves this role, but boy, that was a rough night for him. But he like, healed I mean, up to it, and that's why I respect the dude. There's nobody who does it right now with the UFC or any of the. I mean, there's nobody I'm actively I don't enjoy or like it takes it away from me. Honestly, um, some are obviously better than others, and I think the English commentating team of. Uh, John Gooden and Dan Hardy. I know uh, we always hype them up, Steph. It's cheating. I mean, they're, they're really good at it. They are, but they're cheating. The accent makes it just sound more classy. Man, when they're like, they're calling a fight in Europe. It's mostly British cards. They're British. I feel like I'm watching Bama sometimes, though, to be honest. Um, that sharp British wit. We all, and we all Domin- agree that the British accent is cheating, right? And, yeah. Like, and by the way, Domin- and Dominic Cruz is still the smartest person I've ever heard do this shit. I, Dominic Cruz is just amazing to me at this. My hey, opinion. Bob, you remember um, that British dude that was in the year uh, below us in law school? No. Come on, the guy that had the uh, the blog that got him in trouble. Oh, oh, that fucker. Yeah, I remember him. I, I don't, I don't want to say his name because you know you really shouldn't say people's names on uh, on on a public co- podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. two hundred twenty, two hundred sixty episodes in. Sure, let's change it. Let's not give names out. Go ahead. Hey, you know, like you got to start sometime. But yeah, like anytime we were in one of those public places he would always say asinine and stupid things but god damn it i wanted to listen to him say yeah yeah, he was he was dumb as shit but like yeah you bought what he came out what came out of his mouth um all right um memoirs of a fight fan not bad for coming up on the fly here um i think it's just because we like talking about fights guys we like that we like happy memories of fights and stuff um even when it's don fry admitting to a number of crimes <laughs> um, let's do uh, stuff we like. We didn't get a chance to do it last week. We had a really long episode. Um, I'm gonna lead off. Uh, we're gonna talk about Wrestle Kingdom, which at, at towards the end of this, I know Marcus and I both watched it. But let's go. Um, let's talk about the other stuff uh, we enjoyed this past week. Um, Mike, why don't you lead us off here? Yes. Uh, so I saw an advertisement that I think season four of this show called Black Mirror just premiered on Netflix. And I got it piqued my interest because the the front cover they had was um, Landry from uh, Friday Night Lights was in it. 
And I thought, oh, this show must be pretty cool if Landry's in it. Or, or as other people may know him, Todd from Breaking Bad. It's the same character, uh, man. It makes the both shows better if you think that. Pretty much. Or if you think <laughs> of it as Todd is just Landry a couple couple years after. Yeah, exactly. Things didn't work out. Tara won't talk to him. Or Ta- Tara what's her name? Talk to him. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Whatever the black ch- Jess. Jess. Yeah, she bailed on him. him. She went to Creed. You know. <laughs> um. But yeah, I decided to give the show a shot. I watched the the first episode. Woo! <laughs> I've seen that. I realized, holy shit! I know why this show is called Black Mirror because who don't spoil made it. This show is oh no, I wasn't gonna spoil it. <laughs> but whoever made this show has a dark, dark soul. No, I mean it's it's for screens. It's always about technology. That's not really a secret. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, Black Mark Mirror is supposed to be like the dark reflection in a screen because all the like almost all of the. Stories or some kind technology. of yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought Black Mirror meant like the dark, like when you look in a mirror, like you see the darkness in your heart or some shit. I mean, in fairness, Mike, some dark ass shit happened in that first episode. Yeah, yeah. Double it's entendre. It can mean multiple things. It has multiple layers. Yeah. But yeah, you're all right. But anyway, I really like Black Mirror. At least the first episode of it. I, I don't know how many of those I can binge watch in a row though. Those things are heavy. Dude, I only watched the first one. Have made me reevaluate my life. <laughs> I'd seen a handful of the original British ones before it became like this Netflix owned series. And like, they're all cool because they're one offs and everything. You see a lot of, at least in the British one, I always recognize the actors here and there. I, th- I think um, it's all the same. I think it's just continuation. Like, the same people are making it. Yeah, it's just got American actors now. Um, but that said, yeah, it, it's, it's a bit dark. Uh, so I've seen a few episodes, but my brother just got into it. And he's like, oh, you got to watch it. You got to watch it. And I'm like, I don't really need a lot of more existential dread in my life currently. And that's what every <laughs> one of those episodes is. Like, if you need some existential dread in your life, watch some stuff. I know there are happy episodes, like, but they're like one. There's like that needle in the haystack you have to find over the course of the season. But um, yeah, I don't recommend too. binging it. It's harsh if you binge it. I mean, they're long episodes, too. So does that. Um so Black Mirror for Mike. Um, Stefan, what do you got? Um, I couldn't think of too much off the top of my head, but um, I had recently binged a series that I kind of liked. I mentioned it to you. Um, you know, I was a little late on Narcos, so I was watching that like a month or two ago, and it was pretty good. Um, so as a result, I, of course, would always get recommended uh, a series called El Chapo. Um, and I'm familiar with the name. I'm not as familiar as I was with Pablo Escobar as a subject matter. But um, kind of writing off the highs, I checked it out, um, and I basically said it's kind of the, following the same formula because how else do you make these kind of um, pseudo documentaries of these the rise of these drug lords? But um, it's a solid B plus version of Narcos, I'd say. I don't think it feels like a knockoff. I feel like it's it's every bit as compelling because it's compelling subject matter, you know. And um, like it just reminded me, I saw a headline where someone was asking uh, the Narcos producers how long do they can think they can keep a series like that running and they're like well based on the history of earth forever there's always these crime lords for something there's always room for a crime lord because something is always illegal and there's always a demand for that illegal thing you you don't think they really you don't think they Um, really have cap you don't think el chapo i mean you don't you don't think uh he's not gonna get out of jail now let's be honest he'll get out i mean yeah you you see why he's able to get out of jails you're like what's his reason he's so good at escaping like oh this is what his empire was built on um it's 
it's all fascinating because it, it is a bit of history, you know. Of course, it's dramatized for our more entertainment sake, but um, I dug it. If you like Narcos and haven't checked it out, I I think it's totally in that same uh, atmosphere. Well, I think Mike will agree. The first thing you need to do is watch Cocaine Cowboys and have nightmares about Griselda Blanco for at least you know a week or two. Just Kai Bosch, any uh, thoughts you have of building a drug empire? Dude, you, I remember watching that movie, and we were like, we were rattled by that old lady. <laughs> I remember like, because you were at my place, you were like, you're like, yeah, man, I'm just going to crash on your couch. <laughs> I mean, that dream like always ends the same. It's like, yeah, I want the money that comes from it, but I don't want anything else associated with that life. I don't want I that. Don't want... I don't want that, that old Colombian lady coming after me, man. Yeah, man, that was terrifying. Um, Marcus, what do you got, brother? Yeah, I got two things. Uh, games, there's not really much going on in the beginning of the year. Um, and I kind of feel bad because we're hitting Netflix hard. It's, it's obviously a 10.99 that we're all spending and enjoying. Or, or some of us are, are leeching. It's totally fine. That, that, that's how we play the game nowadays. Um, but yeah, I, I recently started watching um, one of their original series called Mindhunter. And first and foremost, I think this show has the same problem that uh, Baby Driver had, whereas, and it just has a god awful first name, like a name for their their series. Because when you hear Mind Hunters, my first thing is Ghost Hunters, which is bullshit reality TV. So anytime I saw it on like the suggestion, I was just like, eh, it just doesn't, not interested. But um, I've got, I, it was recommended to me so often, I was like, oh, I'll give it a shot. And um, it's basically a, a true crime drama. I would say somewhat in the vein of maybe like a true detective. Um, this one's more grounded in actual reality. It takes place in the 1950s when the FBI started getting into um, the psychology of uh, serial killers. And uh, I mean, really what makes the show so good is just strong writing, strong acting, great dialogue, great chemistry. Um, I mean, I think those are the pillars of any really great show, regardless of subject matter. And um, yeah, in this show, it's just... It's hard to really put a pin in what makes it so great, but it is just those things like these characters are well developed. They're, you know, completely thought out. The dialogue they have with the other characters on the show is just, it's extremely natural, extremely intelligent, and something that I kind of, you would aspire that all your conversations would be so open minded and so just forthcoming with just, I don't know. Are, it really is kind of hard to just kind of put a pin on exactly what makes the dialogue and the chemistry between the characters just mesh so well. Um, but it's just, I, I guess, you know, just to put it bluntly, it's just like it's an extremely well written and fantastically acted and casted. And the story in and of itself is, I, I think, intriguing, kind of getting it, you know, I, this is a point in the FBI and criminologically that, like, in, in criminal, you know, studies that they really weren't kind of talking to these serial killers and getting into the mindset of how they came to be the way they are, why they committed the crimes they did, um, you know, the kind of emotions that they were going through. And it was kind of the FBI slowly getting into that. Well, you know, these characters are, are trying to, you know, dive into that kind of realm and they're getting a lot of pushback. So it was kind of against, you know, the, you know, the FBI's stay of, you know, really investigating these people and and why would you talk to a mass murderer they have nothing you know of importance to tell you after the fact and um yeah just an extremely interesting great show um i i think I, we have a couple episodes um left until finishing the season it's 10 episodes they're about an hour apart so it's a bit of a uh you know an investment but i definitely think if you kind of like true crime especially you know serial killers 
and kind of the thought process that they kind of go through in their childhood and their upbringing that kind of led them to become the weird, you know, psychopaths that they are. Um, yeah, give it, give the first episode a try and you'll know within, I think the first 20 minutes or so, if this is a show that you'll enjoy or not. So I definitely think it's worth, uh, checking out. Um, and then there is a YouTube series that I think Mike might find really interesting. I find incredibly fascinating and even Stefan might as well. Bobby, I don't know, just because this has a lot to do with, uh, Final Fantasy seven. Um, Kotaku has been running a, a video series called found in translation and essentially all it is is um, this one guy who grew up playing Final Fantasy when he was a teenager. He's been living in Japan for the last 15 years, and now he's playing the Japanese and English um, versions of Final Fantasy side by side and basically breaking down the different things in the translation that, you know, when it got localized into English, that kind of was just lost. And, you know, one of the big things, you know, early on, because he basically is playing the game from the beginning and each episode is about, you know, maybe 45 minutes into the game. Um, one of the main characters, um, Barrett or Bart, however you want to pronounce it, he's kind of written as kind of a Mr. T type character, which is how it kind of came over in English. You know, he uses lots of slang um, kind of of that time. Um, but then, you know, playing the Japanese version, he's de depicted a lot more as a kind of like a cool character. So he kind of the, the uh, editor of the video kind of refers to his Japanese personality as Solid Snake, where he's very kind of stoic and to the point. And then in the English translation, um, he's very more kind of urban, Mr. T-esque, using a lot of slang, you know, cutting words into... And he basically breaks down the Japanese kanji. I don't know exactly if that's what it is, Mike. But breaking down how it's supposed to be translated, how the different verbs are using are kind of to be afflicted. And, you know, he kind of says, like, you know, you can kind of see why they use the English transla translation that they did because there's no word that really fits... The Japanese word as well but he kind of gives his own spin on how he would have translated to kind of make it better and you kind of as he's going through is like man yeah his translations kind of speak truer to the character that the Japanese um, writers were kind of going for but you can also see in a time crunch why they would translate the way they would and I, I think it's really fascinating as someone that likes a lot of JRPGs especially playing this last year's big JRPG Persona 5 and not being super stoked about how it was localized, you know, kind of playing that game, you can read certain lines and be like, I feel like this could have been handled a little bit better to kind of get to the same point, but articulate it a little better. Um, it just shows you, you know, how important localization is. And, um, you know, it, it sucks having games um, come out in Japan and having to wait for so long for them to get translated, but it's an incredibly important process and it can really, you know, heightened or hamper a game and i think you kind of saw that with persona 5 i think a lot of people love that game and the one knock they had on it is that like eh, the characters quite aren't as lovable as they were in 4 and a lot of people point at the localization not being quite as well i think there's even sometimes when you're in the class and they ask you questions that are like if you're not in you know japanese school like this questions are really not something that you find in your english curriculum so um yeah i, I think it's it really you know if you're interested in just the Japanese language and it being translated to a different medium, like in video games, it's interesting. I think if you really like Final Fantasy VII, it's extremely interesting to see how these characters were originally portrayed and how they kind of wound up in English. So, yeah, I'll check it out. It's called uh, Found in Translation. Found in Translation? Actually, I'm pretty interested in that because uh, I was funny you mentioned it. When it comes to like anime content, I totally am the anime snob. I prefer, I just, it's a preference thing. I prefer subtitled versions to dub mm -hmm. versions, you know, because um, I think there's, I think, you know, having tried to learn other foreign languages, I think the hardest thing to pick up on as a, when you're learning a language is tone. 
you know? And I think exactly that's what happens is who this character comes off as from that dialogue will seem different in one or another, you know? So I like, since if it's Japanese origin, I just preferred like, okay, this is how they intended it, you know? Um, like that is my preference, but uh, you mentioned with Persona, like that was one of the first things I did was uh, I decided, I, like after playing it for about an hour, I decided I was gonna start over and play it in uh, the Japanese soundtrack because mm -hmm. uh, I saw that was like a free download in the store. And I'm like, uh, I'd probably rather go through this like, uh, RPG, especially since everything will be subtitled. I mean, that's going to be localization from the text, but um, anyways, I'm interested, Mark. I'll check it out. Yeah, no, I, and, and like I said, I mean, I never really tried to learn Japanese. Um, it's something that I've always been interested in. I just, I'm not good with languages, and Japanese just seems like, you know, a giant mountain I could never, um, you know, conquer, but it's just really interesting to, to, to watch this guy break it down. He breaks down what each of the kind of i, I want to say kanji I, I don't know what they're what, what the characters are technically called but yeah he, he really does a great job of saying like you know this is what this character means but this accent on it gives it like a familiar sense or something and i think you know mike having tried to learn japanese um it could be beneficial and just looking at it is like okay oh, it, it, it is a really interesting fascinating process and uh you know especially with this game in particular one that I've always had, you know, a lot of fondness with and a lot of nostalgia to kind of see these characters portrayed in their original light. It just it, it makes me a little jelly and it, 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 but it also makes me hopeful because they are doing a remake. And I kind of hope the people at Square are seeing this and being like, yeah, we should portray Barrett as the original Japanese version where he's kind of cool and collected and not this kind of stereotypical black man with an attitude that they kind of went with, which I think kind of deterred the characters. But I, I thought it was really interesting. And I think Mike and Stefan would really um, be interested in it. Yeah, I actually wrote it down. I'll probably check it out tonight. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, I don't know if I really got... I'm trying to think what I did. Um, I played a shitload of Mario Odyssey. I have over 400... About like 410 moons, which is a lot. Yeah, you're putting a dent in. That do, might be real. That might just be... That might be it, though. <laughs> do you like playing it on the TV, or do you prefer playing it like a handheld? Man, I haven't plugged my Switch into the TV in like a month. Like, Same. I think that's that's a part of the great appeal to it is uh kind of like oh, having a big giant fancy Game Boy. I like putting honestly, I like putting something on the TV too. Like I'll put something I can listen to on the TV a lot yeah, of times too. I think so. it's great for that. I know playing on portable switch, and we all have it at this point, so we can all kind of share our experiences, I guess. Um I it is it is just like unreal just having that in your hands and being like, holy shit, like all of Zelda is in this little device, or even all of Mario. Um, but one thing I did notice is like when I do play in the handheld mode, it does feel like a little claustrophobic. Like everything's just kind of like surrounding my character a little bit tighter. And I do, I, I, but I think I, on, on the other hand, like I think the games look a little bit better in the handheld mode because the resolution on the screen is, you know, the screen's smaller and I think things pop a little bit better. Um, but yeah, sometimes, especially when I'm playing Zelda, I'm just like, man, the walls just kind of feel I mean, it is, Marcus, in on I me only... closer. I don't like. I only play one way. Like I have not played on a TV in so long that like, I really just think I got used to anything. I'm used to the whole thing. Like, yeah, no, and I think you do get used to it. And it's just like every now and then. Like, when it's, I think it's a lot of times coming from TV onto the screen. Like things just feel like they're just enclosed in on the character a little bit more. But yeah. there's no denying how awesome it is to play these, you know, full fledged modern AAA games in a handheld. It's just, it's really insane, and it really, I. I, I was even thinking about to say it really sucks the Vita 
was missing those two shoulder buttons because you kind of had that on the Vita, but since you were missing buttons, they could never get the games to quite work the way they should. And it kind of hampered that because it's cool to have like these really yeah. full fleshed out games just in Do, a handheld. You know what it's I appreciate amazing. too? I mean, the battery life, I'm, I think yet I get around two and a half to three hours yeah. ballpark. Um, that's all I need to play, man. Like, is it micro SD? What is it charging? No, I mean, because uh, I only charge oh, it charges US, USB C. Oh, it's like a new the one. New, yeah, that's yeah, the okay. new, yeah, the mobile standard, which I, I, I have a, yeah, I I got a bunch of those, of those now, though. So. I got, I got a few, I got a few of those. Um, I honestly, look, I have not, I, I, two and a half hours, three hours. I'm kind of, it tells me I'm done. I'm like, I'm done. Like, I'm not going to keep playing. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good amount of time for me to play a game. Um, yeah, I love the switch. Um, I should probably start playing a different game. Um, get my, I have a bunch, but most of them are multiplayer. Um, but Mario, God, I love Mario. Nothing makes me happier than Mario. Um, and, uh, fuck it, let's talk about Wrestle Kingdom, um, which I know Mike didn't give two shits about. Uh, Steph, you saw some highlights. Um, look good. Yeah, Marcus, um, you and I watched, uh, the Access TV feed, which in retrospect, we probably should just turn on New Japan World. Um, but we able, we all, we saw four of the matches. Uh, I guess we can talk about those. Overall, Really enjoyed it, man. Um, all four of the matches delivered. Um, the f- first one we saw was Kota Abushi, who, um, Steph, I know you're pretty familiar with. Honestly, probably Kota Abushi versus Cody Rhodes, probably, you know, if you're a WWE fan, you, you know, we recognize both those names. Um, Kota Abushi perf- performing in the Cruiserweight Classic and Cody Rhodes being a WWE mainstay, I think, for a couple of years there. Um, not the longest match, Marcus, but, when both guys did what they had to do, you know, solid performance from both of them, huh? Yeah, no, it, it was a fun match, and I hadn't seen a lot of Cody um, and his wife, and I think they have <laughs> I a I was going to say, of- Cody's wife might have been my favorite part of the whole car just because of how, like, the show starts, and she starts talking to the camera, and she's like, everybody's here to see us. It? Everybody's here to see us. We're the people who brought, like, we're the best, and I'm the most beautiful woman in professional wrestling, and if you don't think so, you're just a simple mark. And I'm like... Jesus, we're two minutes in. She's already mean to me. Good heel work. <laughs> yeah, I no, they were, they were really interesting. I think I think their match wasn't it wasn't anything you know really to write home about. It was like a good solid match that you'd see like maybe as like the main on like one of their you know on their equivalent of Raw or something. But it was you know, yeah. it, it was good, but nothing you know to really blow your socks off. Um, next out there we had um, Hiroshi Tanahashi, who's pretty much god in Japan. Uh, man does an air guitar, as I mentioned. People still love it. Uh, taking on this young kid, uh, Jay White. Um, I think his name was was a Switchblade. Was his gimmick yeah. or something? Switchblade. Um, it was pretty good, man. I was kind of impressed with the old man going up to the ropes a bunch. Tanahashi, not that young. Um, I kind of would have had the other kid win. Not that I know what's going on exactly in the storylines, but the guy showed up like two weeks ago to challenge this guy. Probably, I would have had the bad guy go over. Just. If I'm gonna book it, <laughs> yeah, it was another you know decent match. There was some like like you said, Bob. There were some good spots in that where they did some like moves off the top that you know were pretty you know spectacular. But again, nothing to really like you know. It was a good solid match. Um, but I, th- I think when we were kind of watching it, and it was like we're only gonna see four matches. This might have been the one we would trade in for that four way or or something else. We we're kind of a little more familiar with the guys. Yeah, but- I mean, yeah, with the four way fight was something a match we we're interested in. Also, maybe the young bucks or evens, but. This was a nice, you know, I'm going to go cook the pizza time, basically. Sure. But it's still a good fight. It's still a good match. Um, and here we go. This was what was one of the co-main events and ended up being the fight, of, the match of the night 
um, for uh, pretty much for, for most people um, in terms of quality and a hype. Uh, no DQ match, Kenny Omega, Chris Jericho. Um, this was awesome. Jericho could still go. And it was, it had some good spots. Um, Steph, I'm not sure you caught this. Uh, Michael appreciate this too. If you guys know the, the magic spray when you watch soccer, the cold spray that somehow manages to heal all injuries. Um, Kenny Omega used that, sprayed himself. First he used it to blind Jericho, but then he sprayed himself in the nuts to feel, uh, to feel refreshed. Made him ready to go. Crowd bought the crowd ate that up. Um, some good leverage. Old man, Jer- uh, old man Jericho can still go, man. He, he you know, he, he busted out everything he had. <laughs> yeah. What I think was interesting in the match was, um, it was a, well, no holds bar, no, no DQ match. So it was a little bit more kind of in the vein of what you see a lot in the WWE where there's a lot of chairs, there's a couple tables here and there. I don't think you get that as frequently in New Japan. I think they have a well, lot Well, you don't more. get you don't get that much in WWE anymore, quite frankly. It seemed like it was almost like they took us back a little bit a few years. Yeah. And they and they saw you know a good match even though you know Jericho was definitely older, but uh I mean the things I want to point out um Kenny Omega always comes in with a big flashy entrance and this time he took a lot of cues from Destiny. He had a Destiny helmet on. He had a Destiny cape on. He had a Destiny gun replica that he came out to. And uh, I mean, I think that's one of the things that kind of has gotten Kenny over with the American crowd who's can't, you know, doesn't have, you know, besides access TV, you know, New Japan's not the easiest thing to consume. Um, and I think he's definitely kind of brought that over kind of like like New Day has where it's this, you know, geeks and video games are the new cool and it's the new pop culture. And this dude, I mean, he kind of lives that. I mean, I didn't. I don't know if I put it all together when I first heard it, but like his special moves are the V trigger, which is a uh, which is a thing from Street Fighter Five, and his fin- finisher is the one we one winged angel, which we were just talking about Final Fantasy Seven. That's what Sephiroth is referred to. Um, and, I mean, so that stuff's just really fun. It's obviously he's like a big kid at heart, and uh, the dude just he really gets over the Japanese crowd. You know, watching him get into the match with Jericho when he was actually speaking Japanese and, you know, again, someone who doesn't speak Japanese, but like Stefan said, you can kind of, there's a cadence to people speaking Japanese where they elongate vowels and, and consonants and stuff. And you can just tell like, yeah, Kenny's been there. He knows how to fucking speak Japanese and kind of play the Japanese audience. Cause he said like, Oh, I'm doing a special treat for you this one time. I'm going to speak Japanese. And he did it so well that I was like, okay, this dude knows how to speak, and he just kind of holds it from them. Marcus, were you were you impressed with, like, I mean, I, we've only seen Kenny fight a few times, obviously. I mean, mostly his matches with Okada, but him, he really showed he can do other stuff, too, which impressed me. It wasn't, because we're going to talk about the Okada match, where Okada kind of just did Okada. We know what Okada does. Yeah, you know? I mean, Ken, Kenny's he, like the full package, right? Like, the, the dude can yeah. hold the mic. In the ring, he's just as good giving offensive as he is selling moves and taking big bumps and... He's just, he's just a star, you know, through and through. It's kind of amazing from all the talent that has come from New Japan over to WWE that Kenny hasn't yet. I don't know if that's because, you know, he likes the freedom in New Japan more um, or if the offers from WWE haven't been good. But he's definitely one of the guys in this organization that, you know, at some point, sooner or later, he's going to come over, um, you know, and earn the big bucks and the respect that he probably need, uh, probably deserves. Um, because, I mean, New Japan is very much a Japanese organization and they don't give the was it what do they call the the foreigners Genjis, you know Gaijin. a lot of yeah they don't give them a lot of you know I mean because he's he's holding a belt and stuff but they don't get that that heavyweight belt as often but um, I, I think it's just it's just a matter of time before he makes. I mean hell he was he was the first uh, Westerner to main event this show he main evented it last year yeah um and uh, man 
Um, main event. Um, Kazuchi. I can't say Okada's first name for shit. Um, I'm Kazuchika. That sound right? Sure. Mm, Mike. I do. Mike doesn't know. That sound like a name. That sound like a name, Mike. You guys saw it enough. Buddy. I'm sorry. I I checked out on this wrestling conversation. Great. Kazuchika Okada. There you go. You got it, Bob. You're good. Kazuchika Okada took on Tetsuya Naito, and the people fucking love Naito. I. He's supposed to be a heel, but man, I got a real like, I got like a Stone Cold vibe off of him. Just like real anti-hero, anti-hero type shit. Um, just not giving a fuck. And he should have gone over. I think in most people's eyes, he didn't go over in this one. The crowd ate up everything he was doing. Um, I think it became pretty clear why he didn't win this match. Um, uh, for people who watched the following New Japan show, the New Year's Dash, where Naito ca- caught an ass whooping. From Jericho. So Jericho gonna stick around a little bit longer, maybe. Um, go again. Jericho sees dollars in this kid, too. So, uh, maybe that's why. Um, so, uh, I didn't want to have Jericho fighting for their title, I guess, necessarily. Um, but yeah, Naito is the man. Um, apparently his, uh, his group, um, Los, uh, Ingobernables de Japón, um, they speak Spanish for some reason, his group, but they're fucking over, too. Um, I know they won, uh, the six man championship early in the evening. So Naito's, Naito seems like the biggest, he seemed like the biggest deal on that card to me. Um, I thought he was great, Marcus. What'd you think? Oh, uh, you know, I, I thought the, the match was, was really good, but I also think it had, you know, really high expectations with what Kenny and, um, Okada. Oh, no, I'm not saying that right. I can't remember. The, I don't have it in front yeah. of me, but Kenny Omega and Jericho. Yeah, I mean, well, no, no, I mean, last year, the last, last year, you're talking about and, uh, the champion. They were, they were what five star matches or whatever their six star matches, whatever they were saying. Um, but I, I think it lived up to that kind of. I mean, it was a great match. It went long and it had a fantastic finish. Um, it was, it was pretty much what I expected, Ruby, to be honest. Um, overall, really dug the New Japan product. Um, considering getting their service, actually, because I don't know, man, I like seeing guys work. I mean, not that the WWE guys don't work. But, you know, they have a certain... Exp- I mean, they're playing to a different audience. And American wrestling fan, the general public American wrestling fan, doesn't really need to see guys go for 35 minutes um, doing I mean, a bunch you know of... You know how much content they put work. out? Like, between Raw and SmackDown? Like, Raw's like, it's, what? Honestly, three it's so hours? difficult. Three hours every week? That's, like, too much. Raw is three hours. SmackDown is two. They got an hour for the Cruiserweight show. They got NXT for an hour. Every- it's just too cool much then, like, content a week. They got like they got like two or they got like it's at least three pay per views in two months at minimum, if not four over like two a month. They have a lot of they're you know serving a lot of masters right now. Kind of reminds me of a UFC where I'm like, this is a lot of stuff going on. You know, we could probably pare it down a little bit. You know, suffering from the same thing. Um, so that was it. Um, next week we're gonna talk about the results of this fight, but shit, man, let's be honest here. We're gonna spend a lot of time talking about Francis Ngannou and Stipe Miocic. Um, Stipe was on MMA Hour Ariel, right? And I heard, uh, heard he say, he said that he thinks the UFC wants Ngannou to win. I would say he thinks right. Yeah, seems about right. I think about right, right? I think Ngannou to win these things, but that's the narrative. Yeah, that's the people want him to lose. <laughs> like, I think most people want to see how hard Ngannou can hit human beings at this point. Um, Whoever made that fan poster where Ngannou's a smoke monster. 
Um, if Stipe's in a firefighter costume, I, and the smoke monster is made by Joe Rogan bong rip. I think that's where it well loses done. me a little bit. Like when no, I first sorry, saw no, it, I was like, this is really kind of artistic and cool, and then there's Joe Rogan with his bong Yeah, but then, like, I, I mean, that was, and I don't, but then, see, when I saw that part, I'm like, yeah, this is MMA. I mean, it made yeah, it funnier. Too, so it's like... definitely got a chuckle, but uh, at first I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. He was a fighter fighter. He's... The art, the I artistry was. of him being in smoke is interesting, but then seeing Joe <laughs> with his little bong in the corner is like, all right, okay. uh, that was, I get it. That was wonderful. I maybe like it even more. I mean, at first I was like, when I'm looking at the top, I'm like, this could be the real poster. Wait, no, it can't. I think I think that's the reason, Bob. Because I saw it and I was like, this is actually like kind of a cool artistic representation of you know selling this fight, and I was like, oh, this is clearly a fan thing. It made it funnier. <laughs> But it kind of took away that, like, oh, this is a really creative thing to me. Like, this is a stupid stoner thing. I mean, again, like, you just cut out Joe Rogan. That could have been the official poster. We it all would have bought it. It would have like, been cool. That would have been great. But Joe Rogan, just a giant bong rip, sitting there in the corner. Well, I, I almost wish they'd use that for their advertising. And then right when they're about to cut from whatever commercial they're doing, Joe Rogan just pops out and says, Smokey! No, see, I, I think what they should have done is just put that poster out without telling Joe Rogan, and then give me an immediate look at Joe Rogan's face. But that this is because I feel Joe Rogan's face would play it out real well for us right there. Um, all right, yeah, we're gonna talk about that. Uh, it's a heavyweight title fight we're all fucking excited for. So knock on all the wood you fucking got, we get to see it, man. Um, and also no time, no time. We're gonna see if this is uh if Stefan picks no time. I'm looking at you, Steph. That seems like a move. That seems like your move. Not believing in Cormier. He don't got it no more. Jones broke him. The true greatest yeah. of all time. Is this what you want to hear me say? That's Maybe. right. Ozdemir. You come at Ozdemir in the bar. You come at him in the octagon. He's putting you down. All right? Putting you down. All right, guys. Um, Thank you all so much for listening Um, to what was episode 266 of this great award-winning podcast, which hasn't won any goddamn awards yet. We've given awards. But out, one though. day we might. Award-giving. We podcast. give out a lot of awards. <laughs> We will give out awards. Um, all right, guys. Thanks for listening. And peace. See ya. I hit the music too soon. Sorry. Peace out, folks. <laughs> See ya. Later.